Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a man you may know best from his playing career, whether it was at Ferris State. Of course, he got his master's degree in human performance from Alabama, has been coaching in the college tennis ranks for nearly all of his professional career. Now, of course, head coach of the Arizona State men's tennis team. Welcome to the show, Coach Matt Hill. Coach, how are you doing today? Good, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it is my pleasure to have you. And I always like to run through the resumes for all of these coaches because it does two things for me. A, it just reminds me how impressive all of you are. But B, and perhaps most importantly, I think it's a good way to just inform the listeners how passionate all of you coaches are for this game and, you know, what drives you here week in, week out. And so that's my opening question to you, Coach Hill, is, you know, a lifetime service in college tennis. What is it about this game that keeps drawing you back? Yeah, it's the players, obviously. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we uh, we do this for them. We, we love to invest in them during such a formative time of their life. You know, it's that's why I always got into the game um, at this level and, and at this platform. So it's uh, yeah, it's the guys, no doubt. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, each and every season you're dealt with a new team. Each team is different on its own. That said, I do want to flash back and I'm just curious. With all the time, you know, all of the falls you spent with different teams and just everything you've been able to do, how difficult was last fall for you, for the guys? How frustrating was that to just not be able to get on court with the frequency you're used to? Yeah, it was, it was super challenging. Um, 
I will say I, I almost got a little taste of that for the very first time when I took over the program at ASU because okay. we had that, you know, that one year where we had to build the program out since they were bringing the reinstating the program. So we had no players, no coaches. So that one year was almost like a, you know, a, a preview, if you will, of, of that that semester off of COVID where you just felt like, wow, I'm so used to being on the court. I'm so used to competing. I'm so used to getting immediate feedback on where we're at and what we need to work on. And um, so, yeah, I had a taste of that a little bit when we, when we rebuilt this program back in 2016, but yeah, it's definitely not easy. I mean, we're, we're, we're wired to be on the court, no doubt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with that in mind, I want to get into your, you know, some questions about your 2021 team, because obviously, you know, despite the setback uh, with the fall, and I know everyone had to deal with that, but, you know, you guys get off and have a pretty successful season, 17 and nine overall. And, you know, right away, you're playing Texas to a four, three at Texas, you're beating Pepperdine and, you know, putting forward all of these good results. I'm sure it helped to have an older team like you did last season, but how were the guys able to click so quickly, experience success so early in the season? Yeah, I think to your point, I think we had some experienced leaders inside the group that had been with us a while. And then we had some young talent that was coming in and playing kind of at the back of the lineup and getting their feet under them. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a good season, obviously. Um, you know, there's ones that you wish you could have had back and there's ones that you got, you know, the thing is, there's on the flip side too, there's ones that you got that you probably shouldn't have got, you know, so it goes both ways. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but we were really happy with kind of the end of the year, how we finished up in the pac 12s at the tournament there. Um, but it was, it was a special year because those guys that committed to come to Arizona state when the program was non-existent, that was their last year. So that was a really special year for us. Yeah, and you mentioned it, you guys make the Pac-12 final and, you know, you beat UCLA, you beat Stanford on the way before getting knocked off by USC. And I know second round of the NCAA tournament, what that means to your program at this point. But before we celebrate those things, got to nerd out with you a little bit, get nitty gritty. I want to congratulate you because you have tied the record we have seen in our Power 5 coaching series. Now, you should, listeners should see your face, Coach Hills, thinking, oh God, what record did we tie? <laughs> 17 different doubles teams. Throughout the course of last season. Now, I know everyone was dealing with different COVID things and injuries and a lack of continuity in the fall, but 17 is an impressive number, coach. What leads to that? So, you know, what leads to that? Yeah, like you said, I mean, we we uh, we had a pairing that was top 10 that we loved and they just they were not clicking and we had to you, you typically never break of a top 10 team, but yeah. It was just had to be done. Uh, Max McKinnon got hurt after we beat Pepperdine and he was out for the bulk of the middle of the season. And um, Andrea got hurt kind of later in the season. So we lost him. And uh, yeah, it was just, it's, that's typically not my philosophy around doubles. I, I'm pretty strict on finding pairings and keeping pairings, but, um, but yeah, yes. Last year was unique. I mean, like you said, all our Europeans didn't even come in the fall. They all stayed back home. So that was a lot of our doubles lineups players. So finding those pairings in the fall wasn't even an option being on the training court. So there was a lot of um, moving parts we were trying to figure out. And we, we know that's a key to our success. It always has been. And so, um, 
we weren't scared to try different things. That's that's for sure. Yeah, no, and I know, and I want to pry that a little bit more because you know you talk about the importance of continuity. I'm curious. Last season, you know, again, given the lack of fall, do you think there was more of an impact that lack of fall in the doubles than the singles? It feels like you know, did you yeah. not have the fall to get your system implemented and just you know, again, were, was that the what you were searching for? Is just two guys who fit in the system together? Yeah, it's it's not necessarily the system. It's it's with each other, right? I mean, I think we, one of the reasons we've had a ton of success in doubles over the years is we're very particular about who we pair with each other. Not only from a skill set standpoint, but a personality standpoint. Um, and so, figuring that out when guys aren't physically present, I mean, that's really challenging, mm-hmm. uh, virtually impossible. So, yeah, I think that was definitely a factor of it. Injuries was a factor of it. Um, but yeah, yeah, 17, that's, that's, yeah, <laughs> Bro, again, that's, that's the number to strive for, I suppose, but um, I doubt, I doubt that, yeah. <laughs> but you know, again, full nerddom here and I apologize. Well, I don't apologize for that fact. Wow. I'm unapologetically nerdy. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about doubles a little bit more and having the opportunity to talk to so many coaches, particularly coaches who have been in college tennis you know, for with the tenure that you have, that's the nice way I've spent. I'm not calling you old. I'm calling you tenured. Um, but have you, I like that. Yeah. Have you, you know, perhaps de-emphasized the teaching of serve and volley as, as to, you know, the degree that it was once imposed upon you. Like for me, you look back even five years, it just felt like we saw more doubles teams serving and volleying 10 years, of course, 15 years. I mean, Sam Dev and Trent Huey to me is like the one that's like, they were, you know, they're serving volleying first, seconds, never matters. Is that something you've de-emphasized over the years? Um, it depends on the skill set of the player. I, I remember years ago, back at Mississippi state, we were trying to get, um, guys serving and volleying and we're just pair Nielsen and I were sitting there looking at each other going, you know, why, what are we, at one point we're like, what are we doing? You know, these guys have, <laughs> they don't have huge serves. They have great, they're great from the back and their hands are just not, it's just, they haven't spent a ton of time up there. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we felt like we were trying to fit a square peg into a round hole and you, you know, it's, it's kind of true for a lot of the guys we're seeing nowadays that, the net game and the continental grip skills. And they're just, they're just not as far as they're not as far along. And so while we teach that depending on the guy um, it's, yeah, they're starting from behind a lot of times when we get them. Mm-hmm. So, no. so you, yeah, you see less of it, you know? Yeah. And do you still think <laughs> that is the most effective strategy in doubles is when you get this team serving and volleying moving? I mean, obviously the net is so critical. Uh, in doubles but I, I do think I, again not to harp on this point but it, it's interesting to hear you talk about skill sets I had one coach say to me I think it was George Husak that Alex Damajan in 2011 his freshman season he would serve and just hit first forehands and like every coach kind of looked right. around and was like oh you can do that that's six like that's that's a good thing to put in the back of the head like it does feel like again as opposed to imposing a system on players it is now for most teams, doubles is very tailored to individual skill sets. Absolutely. I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, it's just, it doesn't make sense now with the rackets and the equipment the way they are to force them into, you know, an area of the court where they're pretty vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're pretty vulnerable at the net unless you're, you're good up there. I mean, you can get in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think you've got to be smart about how you structure and set your players up. I feel like Ty Tucker is probably 
definitely one of the best at that. You know, you saw back in the day when uh, Blas Rolla would be standing back at the back yeah. of the court and Chase would serve and go forward and Blas was standing at the baseline with Chase and you're sitting there going, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. That That's when you're like, can you do that? Like, can you put Blas <laughs> in the forehand corner like that? But uh, yeah, I mean, do whatever you want. So, but no, no I, yeah. Dave Schilling having, I think it was Metka or Seelig or someone stand behind the server. And then they, and then so that server served and volleyed cross court so that someone could sit on that first forehand. Like, I mean, I, you know, shout out Ty Tucker, but you got to shout out Dave Schilling as well for that innovation. Absolutely. Like, you're right. It, they definitely get creative now. Super creative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially with those guys. But yeah. I mean, you got to set your strengths up, right? I mean, you yeah. move your chess pieces around the court. What are best for you? I mean, whether singles or doubles. And um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's no set system one way anymore. And you see that on the pro tour as well. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, you know, again, talking about no one way working for each and every team, you look at the course of last season. And again, we've already gone through the highlights 17 and nine overall, but what's so interesting when looking at the stats is how many different ways you guys were able to find four points. And what I mean by that is, you know, for some teams, it's like doubles, one, two, six. You're like, we have our match calculus moving forward for you guys. You know, four of your six singles flights are winning over 57% of their matches. And obviously you're having a ton of success at two and three doubles, no matter who's playing there. Is that a burden or a blessing for a coach? I guess is the way I'm going to ask it. Cause it's gotta be nice to have some certainty, but I imagine yeah. it adds to the stress level despite knowing we can get there a couple ways. Yeah. It's, it's you can spin it any way you want. Right. Okay. And uh, we chose to send the message to the guys like, look, we just, going to have different guys step up on different days and trust that it's the first of four. And we believe that everybody has a chance to get there and we don't have significant holes in our lineup. Um, but we also, yeah, to your point, it wasn't a team like I've had in the past where you're just locked down on two spots and you're sitting there going, well, we're up two Oh, we just got to find two more. We're good to go. So, but again, it's all how you, look at it and position it and we chose to sell it like look we can get points anywhere and we we consistently are doing it in different spots at different times Um, but yeah it makes for a little less consistency i would say right like you're you're not sure where they're going to come from that day and that's that if you get a bad matchup somewhere or you happen god forbid you get a no show on one of your courts yeah you're in a pickle real quick you know yeah no and absolutely and you know, again, with that in mind, I'm curious, and I know, you know, the majority, I think all of your top three, although, you know, Mackie's playing in different spots throughout the year, but Nate, Mackie, Tim, they're all gone. Uh, that said, as young as the team is this year, a lot of them got repetitions last season. How valuable were those reps in the offseason work you guys have done? Yeah, huge. I mean, mm-hmm. huge. I mean, they, uh, it was super important for them to get uh, reps, whether that's at the top, we, we, we chose this fall to play a lot of hidden dual tournaments for that very reason, right? We wanted those guys to get reps in their minds, you know, say what you want, whether it's real or fake in their mind, it's real, right? Mm -hmm. Is that they're playing one, two, three, and it's a different, in their mind, it's a different level. Um, so that was super important for us. And then we, you know, we, we also had some guys transfer in like the, you know, Fabian, who came from Louisville, he's used to playing at the top. He's not, I don't bother him. 
Um, but yeah, we're definitely, we got a lot of new faces this year, which is super exciting for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And I want to talk about all of those individual faces, but you bring up the hidden duel there. And I think that's fascinating because when you, you know, and I know these are things you think about, but you talk to any SEC men's coach from last season and they will all say the hidden duels we played in the fall, that was everything. You know, we had the opportunity to see our team compete and we had the opportunity to put them in the closest facsimile to a dual match. It prepared us extraordinarily well. I'm curious because I know individual tournaments are obviously the emphasis in the fall, but you mentioned your team's playing a bunch of hidden duels. Is that something you will work in more now in the fall? I'm curious what you saw from your guys in those matches that may have, you know, revealed, does this work for you? Yeah, I think uh, it worked in terms of preparations for the spring. Mm -hmm. I think it hurt us in the ITA national rankings without a doubt. Because you're only getting a couple matches, the weekend's over, you're not making a five, six match run and getting it, stacking up a ton of wins. Um, you're limited on who you're exposed to ranking wise. So it definitely hurt us in the individual rankings, but I do believe it's going to help us for the spring. I think in the future, we'll do a hybrid okay. um, where we're, we'll, we will definitely have at least one hidden duel in the fall. Um, would be my plan kind of moving forward. But then, you you know, we've also got to balance the individual schedule as well as the pro schedule. And so there's a lot of moving parts with putting a fall together, um, you know, depending on the guy and depending on the needs of the team. If we had a super experienced team, I, I, it, I wouldn't have leaned way more towards it this year than I would in past years. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. The reason I ask is because I'm fascinated by uh, is college tennis doing the fall the best way it can is it the most efficient usage of time are there things we could be doing to make the entire process better and you know you hear coaches talk about the hidden duels and obviously the the clear joke is well what are we hiding you know why are they hidden duels and you realize oh it's because of the competitive dates and like to me i don't get that like whatever that that's a side issue that's part number one part number two is is it's just like we have the all-americans and then we have the regionals, and then we have the fall Nats. And then you get to fall Nats, and you're like, well, wait, didn't we just play the All-Americans? Like, didn't we just do this? And I'm curious, as teams prep for the spring, you know, again, is as the fall is currently constructed, is that the best way for college tennis to be doing it? Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, no I easy question. No, what the best way is, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's all predicated on based off of what you believe is, like, important is fall national championships, an important metric for you with your players based off their individual rankings is prepping for the spring through team competition, through hit and dual format, the best, the best for your team and what you're, how you're measuring things. And so it's just, I mean, that's totally each person's perspective, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think that, hidden duels in the fall is a product we haven't used enough to help assimilate the culture of college tennis and build that bridge with the tennis community in whatever city you're in. I think it's a way to give them a chance in the fall to experience the product and learn about what it is and, and get a relationship with your team and then hopefully build, a, build that into the spring. Um, but then, th then also, if you ask me, I mean, I don't think we do a great job 
with marketing our our main product in the spring. So mm -hmm. it's a whole nother, <laughs> I could, yeah. you want to, you want to nerd out about that? Well, like, good. Can... <laughs> no, you've just opened Pandora's box. So I know, again, I don't want to take up too much of your time here, but I have to sneak this one in because I know this is something you think about. And this is something we've explored throughout this series is right now. And part of the reason I wanted to bring this up about the fall and getting fans more excited, because I think it's just, it's a bit disorganized right now. Like oh. no one knows what's happening, where it's happening. And for fans that makes life difficult. But for me, it's so fascinating to hear you bring up that marketing piece because a question I have in my set list is right now when you're talking about growing the sport of college tennis, is it a product problem or no. is it a marketing problem? It's a marketing problem. So it's not, a it's not a marketing problem. It's a priority problem. Yeah, sure. So elaborate right, like, if you don't mind. So the product is the product, right? Like yeah. the product is good. The product is not going to sell itself. Um if you think that when you're top 10 in the country, everybody's just going to come to your matches, that's not how it works. Um, it's, it's a marketing issue. And, and with that, as even doesn't matter if you're a power five school or a mid-major school or what have you, maybe you have a marketing person attached to your sport, but they're attached to probably three, other, three or four other spring sports and you're not their primary and they don't have a budget for you. And so Ultimately, it falls on the shoulder of the CEO, the head coach of the program. And so when I say it's a priority problem, most head coaches don't see that as their job or maybe don't want that to be their job. And, and that's, that's fine to each his own. And, and, but at the end of the day, like it's going to um, impact all of us if their eyeballs on our sport, particularly our sport in our platform via college tennis is low, you know, that's, that is, that's not good for us long-term. You know, mm -hmm. we, we need to be a revenue generating sport. And the only way that's going to happen is if the head coaches ultimately begin to take ownership of each program and say, okay, one of the many things that we're asked to do, I get that we're asked to do a lot, one of the things is going to be to build a proper fan base and a proper relationship with the community. And that looks different, whether you're at Mississippi state where we were at, or whether you're in Arizona state and you're in the middle of Phoenix, right? Very different strategies and philosophies on how to acquire that. But that to me, that's a critical, critical step in us moving our sport forward that softball has taken um, gymnastics is taking, um, some of these other sports are doing a much baseball's done a fantastic job over the last couple of decades. Volleyball is doing a better job, um, that we've got to, we've got to take that next natural step in my mind. Otherwise, yeah, it's, it's not good. Yeah. And uh, one of the other most revealing parts of this has been, you find out college tennis head coaches spend, or I don't want to say at least the good ones, but a lot of them, you'll spend maybe 20% of your energy on X's and O's, and the other, you know, 80% is balancing the four and a half and balancing your budget in general and trying to get your community invested. And yeah, 20% might be a bit low. I'm sure there's more than that on X's and O's. But the point being, being a head coach, to your point, entails so much more than just being good at coaching tennis. And Again, I don't want to ask you to speak for every coach because you're right. It's not one size fit all. But when you talk about the how in the marketing, how to grow your program, how to get the community invested, I'll offer up an idea for you first and then please take it this question wherever you want to go. But for me, 
the first thing I would do if I'm head coach is I'm looking at all my players and we're doing NIL related stuff now. So it's legal. And I'm saying, hey, I'm shipping one of you off every week to the local clubs that are all within 20 miles of us, 25 miles of us, whatever it is within our school. Because to me, that's the way you get communities invested. If an eight-year-old gets to hit, even if it's one practice with a college tennis player, they now idolize that player. They now look to mom and say, mom, it's 25 miles away. Can we go to the Arizona State match, please? She's like, oh, you're right. That would be a fun afternoon for us. So to me, when I talk about the marketing, that's the how I'm focused on. What's the how you're looking at? And I know, I mean, again, it's it, a loaded it, question. Yeah. And here in Phoenix, there's a lot of moving parts, right? You yeah. see, we look at it from uh, what are our target markets? Like what are, you have your student body, your professors, everything, that, everybody that already has ASU as a brand attached to them mm-hmm. here in Tempe. And then, yes, you have your pro- private and pub- public facilities in the area that we, we have relationships with. We have a ball kid program that's 70, 80 kids. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a lot right there of just families and and people that have signed up to work the match right and and an eight-year-old can't come by themselves so the parents are there and then and and so you 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 look at these different um sectors if you will of who you're going to attack and and it and it also is predicated on the match you know like a baylor match at 6 p.m at night we can really hit the community hard whereas you know texas a&m is coming in midweek early in the season and we've got to have them early because Steve's got to get out on a flight. Yeah. So it's, we've got to go to the university people if we're going to get any type of fans based off the time and when it is. So it's, it's not a one size fits all for all the matches. You got to look at your, um, basically you have pro you have 10 products a year, let's call it right. You have 10 home matches a year. Those are your 10 opportunities to really like, you know, really sell college tennis and build a relationship with your community. And you've got to look at the match times. You've got to look at the days and you've got to put a strategy really around each one or a group of them that fall into the same sectors. And then you've got to, okay, how do you, how am I going to build my base those days, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's how we've kind of gone about it here. Whereas let's say at Mississippi state, it was totally different. We, There was, it's such a small town. We just went straight to the sorority houses. We put in a sorority program, essentially a program where they were competing against each other and they would come up with themes and we would give them an unbelievable gift at the end of the year for whoever won. And yeah, you better believe you bring 500 sorority girls, you can have 2000 people there. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just how it was. Mm -hmm. And so it's just different each place. It's different each match based off day and time. And, but it, to your point, it's, I was having a really good conversation with Tim Cass about this maybe a month ago. I was asking him about his days at AM and how he manages all the different things and manages it really well. And to your point, around 20% of X's and O's, like it's not this, he described it as it wasn't this pie chart with like a fixed percentages. That's kind of how he thought about it. It was this sliding scale that based off of the time of the year, it would shift and change and he was always adapting it, and that was a really, really good way to think about it. I, I, I left that call, you know, really, really kind of encouraged about kind of how he went about it. And so, yeah. no, um, that, that's I was gonna say it's fascinating to hear. And I know so many coaches 
are, are constantly grappling with these issues is, again, how do I get people to come into my matches? How do I have people invested in my team? Or how do I get people to invest? And so I appreciate your candidness there. And, you know, again, it certainly helps for a community when you're bringing A&M to town, when you're bringing Texas to town, San Diego to town, Oklahoma, Baylor. They're all coming to Arizona State this year. That's a hell of a schedule, Coach. Yeah, no, we love we love playing really good teams. We love mm-hmm. playing really high level competition. All the teams that we play are coached by guys that are do really great jobs with their program year in and year out. Have a ton of respect for them, and so it's fun. It's it's definitely fun. Um, you know, we we tell guys when we recruit them, we try to put one of the best toughest schedules together in the country. Um, and a lot of the guys want to play professional tennis, and we believe that. In order to do that, you know, they need to get above the college tennis level. And the only way to do that is to consistently see the best, you know, the best teams and the best players in the country. So it's a it's going to be a fun schedule for sure, especially for so many new faces. And it'll be fun to see what they're capable of. Is the 500 rule something you ever think about when you put together your schedule and they waived it last year? Would you like to see it gone permanently? No, I mean, I've never thought about the 500 schedule, 500 rule. And there's been, there was a year where it was close for us. I mean, super close. Um, But I just feel like years ago, I had a team at South Florida that was like 20 in the country and we got to NCAAs and we beat Florida State first round. And then we played a pretty good Florida team. They were probably 10, 12 or something that year. And we just, we got beat bad. Um, and I just remember leaving the court that day feeling like I really hadn't prepared my guys for this match with the schedule I put together. I kind of took almost like an Ivy League approach back back in the day where we played a really, and I'm not saying the Ivy Leagues do this now, I just years ago, uh, sure. we played almost like a light schedule and got a pretty good ranking from it. Mm-hmm. And But we just were not prepared for that match. And I've always said to my team that I want them playing the best tennis possible come may that's the we always talk about playing our best tennis in may and i and i said to myself well if that if you if i genuinely believe that which i do i did a poor job of preparing them for that and i was really disappointed in myself and i just said look i'm, I'm not going to ever do that again i'm going to play as tough a schedule as i can find and if we're going to compete for championships like we we these are the teams we have to beat and if we can't beat them then i mean we're not going to do very well in the national championships anyway. So yeah. um, that's always kind of been my approach to it. No, I like that. And look, with your team this season, it's worth mentioning. You brought in top 25 recruiting classes, according to tennisrecruiting.net, these past two years. But, you know, there's one senior on your roster. And that senior happened to be, happens to come from Louisville. It's like they haven't even been in the program for four years. This is a very young group, no denying that. Talk to me. It's is it fun to get a young group? Does it feel like you have Super that fun. fresh pool of clay and you're like, let's mold this slightly different this time? We're going to go with an, a rounded curvature at the end instead of the squared off we did last time. Just you know, talk to me about the young guys and what growth you've seen from them throughout the fall. Yeah, it's been super, super fun. I mean, we um, it's really been a – I kind of always do like a preseason free write where I just write, 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 and, and just mm-hmm. think uh, anything I can come to my mind and – uh, this season really for me was like a fresh start 
to the program, you know, I mean, we really get a chance to kind of reset the culture and reset leadership and find new leaders and build them up. And so, yeah, it's been a, it's been a super fun fall. Um, we had some really good moments at the beginning, some really tough moments in the middle and some really good moments at the end. And so it's just, uh, I'm, I'm super excited to kind of get into the spring and, and again, see these guys kind of grow match by match. Um, I definitely don't think this is a team where, yeah, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be our hottest in this, the beginning. There's no doubt about that. You know, I think it's going to take some time to grow. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it is a team where I think we've got a lot of depth. We've got, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be a huge level difference between one and eight. And it's just going to be, um, yeah, really interesting to see kind of who steps up when we get into those moments and watch them kind of grow as we go. It's going to be really fun. If you knew McKinnon was going to grow that goatee, would you not have recruited him? I still would have recruited him. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. It's a good answer. Um, but you know, when looking at this roster, and again, I mentioned the fact no seniors other than who you bring in from Louisville, but perhaps more prominently, you know, again, it's a question I've been asking every coach, and I think it's maybe the question right now. When you're forming your roster, how do you balance bringing in, you know, the four-year players, the ones who, as you mentioned, can build a culture with and hype up throughout their time there versus knowing particularly right now with the extra COVID year eligibility players out there, hey, if I look at the transfer portal, I can find a four, I can find a five, I can find a six. How do you balance those two things right now in constructing your roster? Well, we weren't looking for transfers this year, to be honest with you. Uh, we, we were actually staying we were trying to stay away from transfers because we just building this program from the ground up we had to take a lot of that you know the michael garretts who came in for one year uh the justin roberts who came in for one year um it's these guys are great players and great leaders but they're just in they're out and we just hadn't had any type of continuity over the last three four years so we were really like excited to kind of start building that yeah. Um, so we were, we were, we weren't looking for that at all. Uh, but I had recruited Jacob Bullard very hard before he went committed to Texas. And I always liked him so much as a player and as a person, and we believed we could help him. So we went, we decided to go that route with Jacob. And then Fabian was just kind of a, I mean, he kind of just, he came after us because of the accounting program here. Mm -hmm. and uh, finance program here, the masters. But I said to him the first time we spoke, I said, look, well, I don't take one year guys. Mm -hmm. I just don't, not right now. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, I have two years left because I graduated in three at Louisville. So I'd be, I want to come for two. And that's when I said, okay, well, let's have a conversation. So for us, we, you know, we, we want continuity right now. We're not looking for those one-off guys. I don't care how good they are mm -hmm. um, because no. Yeah, gotta, I was gonna say, set. I know I, I like that. I mean, I I have no issue with that philosophy, and you know, I feel like though now you talk to any coach, it's like, yeah, leave half a scholarship open just in case. Like you never know what's gonna break through, and I do think that's so fascinating. That said, you know, I'm giving every coach this opportunity because I think a lot of our listeners, fans, players don't have the opportunity to hear your voice. Give yeah. me the pitch. Why should I come down to Arizona State? Why should I ride with the Devils moving forward? <laughs> yeah i know i mean it's uh <laughs> it, it, it depends on the guy it's a it's a two-way street right sure 
I'm a, yeah. I'm a big uh, believer in listening during the recruiting process and making sure that uh, their fit is our fit. You know, mm-hmm. um, for us, we're looking for guys that want both. You know, we're looking for guys that um, they want to be on an unbelievable team, be a great teammate and, and have a shot at winning team championships in the pack and, and on a national scale. Um, but we're also looking for guys that want to play professionally, uh, want to want to play an 11 month calendar, want to get out in the summers. Um, so we can't we don't we're not looking for one way or the other, you know. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's the Pac-12, obviously great tennis, uh, all that. I mean, and, and for us, it's 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 really like one of the things that we've talked a lot about here is you're really getting to build something special. I mean, we, this is the first power five program that's ever brought men's tennis back. Mm-hmm. And you have an AD that put a million dollars of his own personal money in. I mean, his, his money, not ASU's money. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got an AD who's backing the sport in a big way and um, talk about the schedule and all those little nuances. Of course, those are things we address, but but yeah, I mean, if they want to build something special and, and kind of make a name for a program, like then this is a this is a good option, you know. If they want to go somewhere that's already that's already there, right, and just be another name on the wall, then that's yeah, it's there. There's other options available for you too. So, kind of depends on what the guy wants, and we do a lot of listening, and we've said no to some really really good players over the last few years, um, but. But yeah, it's uh, it's been fun, man. It's been a fun four or five years here so no, far. No, no doubt about that. And again, you talk about Arizona State. And last few questions for you. You talk about Arizona State bringing back men's tennis. Talk to me about the commitment that you know to see that commitment from an athletic department. And is that ultimately what brings you to Arizona State? You see that commitment. You know, you know, again, in the environment we're in right now in college tennis, where far too many programs have considered you know, cutting their men's tennis programs because it's a non-revenue sport. And if you don't have to have it, why have it? Um, You know, what does that commitment mean to you guys and the team? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, Ray comes and speaks to the guys and Buffy, him and his wife are at the matches. And um, if I want something, need something, I mean, it's done. It's not, there's, there's, we're not treated like you would maybe think that most tennis teams are treated, you know, it's a different viewpoint here, obviously. I mean, he has a million dollars in on his own. Right. Mm -hmm. So that is what brought me here to be honest with you is not just Ray's commitment, but the idea of building something from the ground up for the fans and the alumni base and all that. That's exactly what brought me here because we were super happy in Tampa. We were doing really, really well at South Florida at the time. And there wasn't really any need to, to leave. Um, so it's, it, it is a special project. It's been a special start so far. I, I definitely, if you'd have told me when I took the job that within a, a couple of years, we would be in the top 25 and kind of doing what we're doing. I, I, I'd say, I'll take that all day long. It's not where we want to be. Right. Um, but it's, but it's a nice step forward towards where we're wanting to be. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. No, I, I love to hear it. And so with all that said, rapid fire for you down the home stretch. Okay. A, you know, I think you guys finished the season, what, like 21st, 22nd, 23rd, whatever. How much better is 23rd ranked Arizona State than perhaps 
23rd ranked Mississippi State of 2008. The, the question there being, is it the depth? Is that the biggest thing that's improved in college? I feel like the top teams have always been good, but it's the teams ranked 20, 30, 40 who would just demolish their counterparts from the past. Yeah, I mean, the, it's definitely a higher level than what I, what I remember back when I would go back and watch film or whatnot. Like it's, it's the depth. It's just the game itself is just faster and the athletes are better. And um, I think that's probably the biggest difference really is, is the athlete is just a better athlete, is a better tennis player, a better athlete. And, and the game has just evolved since then. Mm-hmm. No, I love it. If there was one match you could recoach from the past, what would it be? Finals, finals of Pac-12 last year against USC. <laughs> the energy of that one was particularly spicy. I enjoyed that one. That was, yeah, that, that was a good match. All right. Um, in 10 years, will college tennis be playing simultaneous start? What do you mean by simultaneous start? Doubles and singles start together. We're no longer doing doubles no. point then singles point. No. Okay. Doubles, doubles will be overtime. Yeah. <laughs> That's the switch. That's the way to do it. I think so. I like it as well. The 40-minute rat race at the end, I could, I see the appeal. All right, coin toss, wasted opportunity. It's out. In lieu of that, one point, drop and hit, head coach versus head coach, winning coach decides the serving arrangements everywhere. Oof. Oh, no? <laughs> I'll take that as a uh, no. Over 50-year yeah. assistant can play. There we go. Yeah, now we're talking. I'll let Dominic play, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, okay, perfect. That works for me. We just got to get that competition going right away. Um, You know, last one for you, and again, it's it's a little gimmicky here, but lawless lineups. Away team submits in advance, home team matches up however we want. Let's double down on home field advantage and getting, you know, home crowds to see victories. Oh, I like the idea of just mixing up the lineups. I feel like yeah. the strength of order thing is just a joke. Yeah, I think just 100%. I would love to just submit it any way you want, you know? I think mm-hmm. that would be fun. Yeah. I don't, I, that'd be a big home court advantage if you could get to see it ahead of time though. That's what I'm saying. But like, doesn't that mean your home crowd's always gonna come out? Cause it's like, hey, we can always win. Like we're picking the matchups. Let's let's do it. Um but yeah, again, this shows you the free time I have on my hands. Last question for you. When fans, you know, other teams watch your guys compete this season, what do you want their takeaway to be? Yeah, just these guys are animals. That they mm-hmm. just don't give away anything, and they work really well together as a group. Um, yeah, that's the big thing. That they compete really well, not only as an individual player, but also as a team. Yeah, awesome. Well, again, Coach Hill, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Really appreciate all I know that you do to help grow college tennis and. You know, appreciate you tolerating my nonsense, wishing you and the guys safety, health, and of course, success in 2022. Awesome, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for all you do for college tennis as well, man. It's been oh, great. Of course. It's my, again, it beats a real job, right? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Really well, good. take care, coach. Thanks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.